Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study. I'm excited about the Word of God and ready to get into it. Uh, I know we, we're going back and forth. We went from Sunday to being together to now back to this again, but hopefully this won't be much longer, just a couple more weeks of our Wednesday night Bible studies like this. I pray that it's, it's being a blessing and has been a blessing to you, but hopefully before much longer we'll be back together on Wednesday nights again and having Bible study as a congregation. Looking forward to this upcoming Sunday again. We had such a great time this past Sunday. Uh, remember this upcoming Sunday, it's going to be 845, the doors open, service will begin at 9 o'clock for the ages 58 and above, and then the next service will, doors will be open at 1045, and the service will begin for ages 57 and below at 11 o'clock. I'm looking forward to that, had such a great time this weekend, just seeing everybody, and uh, it was hard not to hug and shake hands, and I wanted to get to so many of you. Uh, but hopefully, again, this time will be short, and uh, we'll be all back together again as we had it before. I want to pick up uh, this Wednesday night uh, with, with where we were or have been for the last few weeks in James. James chapter 1, and I'm going to pick up, maybe touch on the ending part of 12, but really get into 13 and 14 is my objective tonight. And um, these verses have been so filled uh, with information, they have been very helpful. Uh, even they've helped me, and and I've heard from many of you, and I know they've they've helped you. Uh, but I prayed about it. I, I thought about going into something maybe a little bit different. But I read on into James, the whole book of James. Who knows? Maybe I I don't know. Do the whole book of James? Who knows? But at this point, I felt to continue just a little bit further uh, because he began to deal with with an area of Christian life and Christian uh, living, walking with God uh, that I think all of us encounter. And as I began to study it, uh, it began to uh, make better sense, maybe give me a bit of understanding of, of how uh, this is applicable to me, how I can make it uh, applicable in my life and, and gain strength uh, from the Word of God. You know, that's what it's all about is when I read the Word of God, God, I'm not reading it just out of habit, but I need the strength of God to be conveyed from the words on the pages of this book to help me face the challenges of life. And folks, let's just be really honest. That's where we all are. We're, we're facing challenges that, that many of us don't have the answers to, but we have a confidence and a hope that we can turn to the Word of God and if we stick with it and dig or study to show ourselves approved, as Paul told Timothy, we'll find the answers there. So, uh, without any more delay, let's go to James chapter 1. And the last uh, session we had together, I talked about steady faith, and uh, I think that was part 3. And I got to verse 12, and I touched it. I, I want to just touch the end of it again and then get into 13. But before we start, I want us to pray together. And ask God to help us again that this is not just meaningless time that we're taking up, but that it would be impacting on all of us. His word would be impacting on all of us. Jesus, I thank you again for the opportunity to read your word. I thank you for a mind to understand that word. And I pray tonight that you would touch all of us through your word. Let it touch our hearts. Give us understanding. I ask for a spirit of revelation to come right here, right now. Let it visit me here as I teach, but yet let it touch all of us, no matter where we are right now. Let a revelation of your word 
touch our hearts and give us a direction of what we can do to better serve you. I ask you for it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I closed last time with verse 12, and I had broke down each one of those words. And verse 12, as I had said a little bit earlier, you'll find in the book of James, and especially in these first chapters, and, and it may be the case, I haven't studied in depth like I have these first few verses, but I, I pick up something here in the very first chapter of James. There are already several transitional verses in here. And I think sometimes that's, for me, it, it, that has been a, a stump. When I read the Word of God, it's like I get into a thought of where I think He's going, and then immediately it changes on me. And then it's another thought, and I'm trying to piece these verses together. And what I learned in this study, and especially the book of James, he slips in what I'm calling transitional verses. And I've even, uh, many of the commentators will say that. This is a transitional verse. Well, tonight we're going to get to that again. Another transitional point in verses 12 through 13. We had this in the very beginning of James. And these transitional verses were there. Well, verse 12 is the beginning of another uh, transition. It's the closing of one thought, which is what we've stayed on for several weeks, verses 1 through, uh, well, up till 12 and going into 12. And what James is wanting to do now in verse 12 is he's changing from the external trials that a person undergoes, is in, undergoes in verses 2 uh, through 4, and now he's, he's going to shift the gears or shift uh, his verbiage from an external uh, persecution or crisis or distress, I think is how we defined it, to now more of an internal uh, temptation. And again, the word or the transition is the word transi uh, temptation. I'm sorry, tran the transitional word uh, is temptation. And uh, where it meant one thing in the first few verses, now it's going to take on a different meaning. And the way it does that is contextually, and this is what James gets into. So, verse 12, we're seeing here, uh, Blessed is the man, there's a blessing in a man that endures uh, the previous trials or distresses uh, and, and what he undergoes. For when he is tried, and that translates into when he has been approved, uh, when he has been approved, he shall receive a crown of life. That word blessed in the beginning means spiritually prosperous. And what 12 was saying is blessed or spiritually prosperous is the man that endureth, stays under until he has been approved. And, and the, the closing remarks of all of that was being approved. I began to study it and I gave it in the last part. It comes from two Greek words, when he hath been, and another word approved. The two Greek words, uh, dokomos, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, I'm no Greek scholar, uh, means acceptable, approved. Uh, I'm sorry, I had it inverted. When he hath been is the Greek word genome. Hath or approved is dokomos. Dokomos means acceptable, approved, authentic, or pleasing. When he hath been is the Greek word genome, and it means arise, brought to pass, come to pass. And the thing that stood out the most to me was be married. So it's James's closing or transition. He's he's saying these persecutions you go through and these trials. In this case, it was persecutions for the early church. 
Uh, for us, it's not per, per se persecution as of now. It's distress or crisis or the trial uh, of our faith or the process of our faith being tried. But James is trying to transition here and he's saying there is a blessing in all of this, but there's an objective. And the first portion of those scriptures, uh, and, and again what stood out the most in this last part, is be married. It's what I had been saying in the beginning, what James was, was alluding to, but maybe had not come together in full understanding. Here, he begins to wrap it up and he begins to say, here's what it's all about, is that your faith will be proven genuine, but that you will be married. Now, you and I both know uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've talked about that, the times of Gentiles, which is uh, more prophecy teaching uh, at a later date. Uh, we, we may come to those kind of things. I know there's men that that's their ministry. They, they dive into uh, the prophecies of, of Revelation. But here, th this is a very clear uh, reference to the reason you go through what you go through is preparing you for the marriage. And I made reference last time about the bride and the bridegroom or the groom uh, and the bride and the marriage of the church to Christ. That's what it's all about. And uh, if you'll study Jewish customs in a, a Jewish marriage, the, the bridegroom or the groom, he comes and begins to court her. But then he leaves and uh, he goes and prepares a place for him and his wife to be. And in this process, he goes away. And as he's preparing, sounds very familiar, Christ uh, ascended and he went to prepare. He spoke of this in John for I must go away, but I will send a comforter. And what he's saying is, is I'm going away to prepare the place. Well, the place is prepared, but it's an illusion, an analogy, a picture showing how you and I uh, are to make ourselves ready for him coming back again because he told the church that I must go, but I will come again. And this picture that James is, or these terms that James is using is relaying to that. He's relaying to the coming of the Lord and that when you go through these things of life, God is preparing you and I. Now, to me, the biggest takeaway, and I'll try to get quickly to the punch was, uh, the punchline was that as Jesus went away, the bride was to prepare herself when he would come back. So, and this is where we are. We are in a constant perpetual preparation state that we are to make ourselves ready for His coming back. That when these trials and storms come, they're not here to hurt us. They're not here to destroy us. They're to prepare us that our faith would grow strong, that our faith in the end, He could say to you and I, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that you've been faithful over a few things, but that now when we come together as the bride with the bridegroom, that we meet Him in heaven and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, that the purpose of all of that is that you would become governors and, and priests of, of, of the spiritual heaven. That's the objective, is that what we're doing now is all preparation for, for the uh, time that would come, the ruling and the reigning with Christ. So uh, if you understand that this is preparation for His coming again, one of the key uh, ingredients that stood out to me or one of the key uh, ideas in a Jewish wedding was the bride did not know when He was coming back. And I mentioned this last time, but I, I want to come back because it's such a powerful truth. She did not know the hour. She did not know when that bridegroom was going to come back and take her 
to, to consummate the wedding or to consummate the marriage would be a better term. She had to constantly be preparing and making herself ready. But the Jewish custom was is he would come uh, and blow a horn and would, would come and take his bride. So for you and I, what we have to remember that when we go through these trials and, and crises and problems in families and homes and we go through struggles of life, that we, if we can remember, this isn't going to destroy me. This isn't going to, this is, I'm not going to lose. If I can maintain the purpose for the process and the reason I'm going through this, that this has got a heaven uh, inclination. It's causing me to look more towards what I'm preparing for, a marriage, the marriage supper uh, with the lamb and the bridegroom. Then it takes this load or pressure off of myself, or it, hopefully it does, that, hey, this isn't going to last forever. The sun's going to come up again. Encouragement's going to come again. And things are going to get better again. So this is the transitional moment for James. He's telling us this is our, my closing thought. There is a blessing. If there would be any title that I could give to this Wednesday night lesson, it would be uh, the blessing or, or the testing will bring about a blessing. That the testing that I've been through uh, up until this point is going to bring about a blessing. Now, this is when James begins to change his theme. James, as I said just a moment ago, the focus in verses 2 through 4 were on trials encountered in daily life that may have included suffering and persecution. But here in 12, uh, he begins to sum up the teaching on that aspect, more of an external um, uh, attack that's coming against you. And now in verses 13 and 15, he's going to turn it to an interior or an internal uh, struggle in, in that trial. Uh, in verses 12, which I had already stated that the word temptation, and I spoke of it contextually, uh, in, in the first few verses, 2 and 4, it's speaking of trials. But now the word temptation begins to take on a diff, different meaning. And many of the commentators uh, have been in debate of that verse 12, that transitional, not that there's a transition, but the word temptation. But many of them, the majority of them, agree uh, that the word temptation in 12 is meaning trials and suffering. And it's a transitional uh, word that, that now he's moving them from external to internal and they uh, agree in a majority uh, that it's an external struggle but now he's quickly going to take that same word and contextually begin to change it if, if it's possible. Listen, I'm no Greek uh, grammatic study here. I'm going by what they have, have, have tried to through their studies of Greek uh, to try to show us the true meaning. And you can see it contextually because the next verse, he starts talking in temptation, but more of lust. Well, we know that's not an external, though it may come uh, as an external bait, may see uh, the eye gate or the hearing. It's something now James begins to deal with of an internal fashion. So in verse 13, James says, Let no man, let no man, Say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. James starts off when he begins to say, Let no man. 
That is an emphatic, uh, when you study it in the original definition, it is a very emphatic no. James is again, like I said, contextually, he begins to change even the whole spirit of it. It's almost like James is coming to the defense of God. And here's what I begin to see in these scriptures. And that's why I felt to go on a little bit further. When you get in a trial of external means, life is not going well and your faith is being tested. You've been maybe praying for these things to, for God to uh, remedy. Maybe a, a spouse or a child or a home or maybe your past, whatever it may be. And these things of life and, and circumstances are weighing heavy on you and your faith is being tested or challenged. It's in that moment of that pressure. James in the beginning says, come under it. But it's, it's been the common struggle that when these things begin to happen, our natural tendency, maybe not for some, but maybe for me, I've looked at it and in one essence want to blame God. And this is where James, he's stepping to the, to the plate proverbially. He's... Stepping up and beginning to say emphatically, let no man say that when temptation comes or you're being tempted, that I am tempted of God. That I'm being tempted to uh, let go of my faith or that, I'm, uh, that it's God that has brought this upon me. And James is, is going to bat uh, for God in essence if, if be a... I, God doesn't need anybody to defend him. God's big enough to defend himself. But as a man of God and a pastor to the people, he, he appeals to them to, to bring them under an understanding and an emphatic word of no. Don't let no man, do not think that these temptations that begin to come to you, though they have maybe come an, from an external fashion, do not let an internal war begin to rage. That you begin to look at God and begin to blame God and say, God, you could have stopped this. Why didn't you? I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've looked at things in life and I feel things start rising up in me that I did. See, it's internal now. The external life situations are there. And my faith is supposed to steady me and keep me through that. But now what's happening is when I begin to let go of my faith and I begin to maybe doubt or whatever it may be, I, I sense things begin rising in my human spirit that I didn't know were there. I, I wish this is the time I wish I had a congregation that I could see three or four nods and, and people would maybe agree. I know I felt it. Things start surfacing in my emotions and, I, and, and, and I'm human and I want to say, now God, you could have stopped that. Why did you let that happen? Why did this have to happen? Now, I know James didn't go down that road uh, in detail. I, I later, he begins to deal with some of the human emotions. But in this case, he's dealing with, with you and I saying, well, God, just, this was a temptation. You allowed this to happen, a temptation to come to me. God tempts no man. And that's what James saying. God didn't do this to bait you that you would fall into sin. He allowed these things to come that my faith would become steady and genuine. He did not intend for you and I to begin to, to, to fall. You wonder many times why people backslide. This is how. 
life throws a curve in what was meant to turn for the good or hang on till it turned for the good, many times these emotions start surfacing and we get angry with God. We get angry with why my life has turned out the way it is when we know. See, here's where our contradiction comes. I know God can do anything. And when God chooses to not do what seemingly, in my opinion, was the better approach, I begin to become resentful or skeptical or cynical against God. Well, God just only does that for a select few. That's not the case. God is no respecter of persons. What God does for you, He'll do for me. This is where your faith and my faith are being tested. Because you look at somebody else and say, well now why do they get that, what I've been looking for, but then I look over here and what I've been asking God for, I don't get. I want my family to be together, but yet this one gets it and I don't get it. And our faith now is being tested. And if I know what James told me from the beginning, God, I need wisdom to steady myself in it if I'm not careful. The interior temptation now begins to take over. What the exterior was meant to steady me, an interior temptation now begins to come and that's not God's intent. It's not God's. That's why he said, don't let no man, no man ever say that I'm being tempted of God. God does not tempt man. God does not set a trap or allow life to come to you to destroy you or the difficulties of life to destroy you. He allows the difficulties to come that my faith overcomes the external challenges I'm facing. But now, you and I have two components that we did not figure into this equation. And James deals with it in verse 17. He sums it up, which I'll never get to, not especially tonight. <laughs> but he says every good gift is from God. He turns the tables at the close of this and he says, God means things for the good. But there's two other components you and I don't factor into this. Our own nature and the enemy. Now, James doesn't spend a lot of time on the enemy. And I agree with him in this regard of not trying to capitalize on him. I don't want to grandize him and what he does and make him think he's really... Uh, got a foothold on us. God is greater than anything the enemy could throw at you and I. Whether it be doubt, unbelief, fear, anxiety, God is greater than any of those things. And James closes it when 17 uh, or, or comes to the, uh, a, again, a transitional scriptures, verse 16, because he goes into something totally different for verses 17 and 18, and he's saying God is good, and the gifts of God are good. But for here, what we need to calculate is, is number one, my own inward nature and how the enemy uses my weaknesses to ultimately pull me away. And this is why I felt that I, I, these scriptures are too good. These are things that all of us battle. Whether you're the preacher, whether you're the, uh, the, the greatest saint in the church, the most uh, spiritual matriarch or patriarch of any congregation, doesn't matter who you are. No one is exempt to this element of looking at the internal parts of humanity and say, okay, God, you didn't mean for it to go down this road. You meant for the trials that I go through, the temptations I go through to strengthen me and make me stronger to make heaven. 
I now have turned it and begin to blame you. And I wonder if James, this is me just conjecture here. I know from dealing just my short time of pastoring, but I've dealt with people long enough, even in our previous assignments God's called us to, that were pastoral roles predominantly in our uh, training or what it would be. I, I've, I've seen this come to pass. I've seen where uh, people go through these challenges and they begin to deviate and say, okay, God, you, you could have done something different here and you could have changed it. I've explained to you the two uh, internal, external. In verses 12 through 13, he's starting to transition now from external to internal. James gives us two reasons why we shouldn't blame God for temptation. Uh, and he uses that in the word thar. Thar. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Pause. Thar God cannot be tempted it only appears in this place cannot be tempted only appears here in the Bible and it means unable to be let's put it in context God cannot be for God cannot be tempted with evil for God is unable to be tempted with evil another one says God never feels the urge for evil. Now put that in context for you and I. I think I wrote it down, even another saying, and he doesn't use evil to tempt anyone. God would never allow the hardships of life and use that to tempt you to fall. Somebody hear me right now. I feel such a witness of the Holy Ghost in, in, the, in this lesson right here. Now I know why I'm teaching it. We would allow, these situations would come and we would want to say, well, God could have or should have. In essence, we're putting the blame on God. God would never use the, the distress, the evil, the problem to cause you to fail. James is saying God needs to be, to his defense, God would never, he's unable to use evil to tempt you. He's unable to use the bad things in life to tempt you. The persecutions, the trial, that's not God using that as evil to get you to fall. And I'm jumping ahead here. James gives us what causes us to fall in verse 14. We are drawn away by our own. These things come to us, but because we don't turn to God in faith and steady our faith we turn now and begin to God you could have stopped this you should have stopped this why is my life so miserable why has my life happened like it is don't go down that road and that's what James trying to say let no man don't go down that road I've used this y'all heard me say this many times in the pulpit I've used uh, the twin towers that was not God's fault but many people at the end of that, especially I can only feel uh, the, 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 the hurt of mamas and daddies that lost their children. I'm not being unsympathetic to that. But in that moment, I, I can't explain why some people go through what they go through. I can't explain it. I don't have the answers of why uh, a mama and a daddy would lose a one-month-old baby. 
I don't know. Why would that one do it, but this one would not? Those are answers I cannot give you. All I can tell you is life comes. It rains on the just, the unjust. Life is seasons. And when these things happen, they're not meant to destroy. God obviously has confidence to allow somebody to go through that. He's got confidence in them that it will not make them bitter but better. And when the Twin Towers went down, I know mamas and daddies lost children in that. I'm not being unsympathetic, but God wasn't to blame for that. Now you and I can take these situations and turn them and say, Okay, God, this happened. It was out of my control. I couldn't control it. You couldn't control it. You can't control the death of a loved one. You can't control why life, these things happen. But what I can control is how I handle when I go through it. And my heart and my faith that I keep it in the hands of God and say, God, you obviously had confidence in me and a trust in me and you're preparing something in me that I don't understand. I don't want... Listen, folks. We all make these mistakes. Please, I want to say this from a pastor's heart here tonight. We've all been in places where we've blamed God. Come on, be honest. I have. We've all been in places where we begin to go down a road and we catch ourselves. I'm getting a little bitter. I'm getting a little cynical. I'm getting a little critical. I'm getting a little... And really, when I go back and look at the past, I see that there was something that happened in my life that I'm holding God to blame or I'm holding a family member to blame or I'm holding somebody to blame for what happened in that place. And now I've done deviated from the crossroad what was meant to strengthen my faith and prepare me for heaven. Now I'm beginning to go down this road. Now I'm further from God. Now I'm colder in my, in, when God's presence moves or now I'm at a place in life where I, I don't have the, the close Fill in the blanks. Come on, go with me on this journey. I know I'm not just babbling here on some random uh, lesson. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm teaching because we've all been where James is trying to give us a challenge. One commentator says it's a warning. Don't blame God when these temptations begin to come internally. You begin to get angry or mad or frustrated or cynical or critical of the church or God's people. Uh, you know what? I just don't believe in God's people no more. I don't believe in the... Uh, I don't believe Bible studies. Folks, I'm just randomly grasping here. I don't believe prayer works anymore. I, what's the point of praying? Or what's the point of reading the Word? It don't work no more. Don't go down that road because this wasn't meant to destroy you. This was meant to help you and encourage you. So James says it like this. God doesn't use evil to tempt anyone. And he was also saying he's unable to be tempted with evil. Therefore, he himself tempts nobody. I made a note here. And I, I'm just going to briefly touch it because I feel like I'm, I'm running out of time here. The question would come if God cannot be tempted. And this is a, more of a oneness insert I, I, I want to I give to somebody because I know some may watch this and say, well, if God can't be tempted, then how was Christ tempted? And at this point, this is where you need to understand 
Christ had a dual nature. He was fully God, fully man in every aspect. He was completely human in his nature. He was completely divine in his nature. And you cannot separate those two natures in that earthly life. So what you want to see in this case to answer that question that many people would have, how if he's God, then how was he tempted? Ask yourself the question, was he tempted as God or man? He was tempted as man. Why was he tempted as man? It's real simple. I think it's Timothy might have wrote it. I, I thought I wrote it down. Jesus was the mediator. He went between God and man. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. What Paul is trying to tell Timothy, the purpose of the man, Christ, was not only for redemption. A spirit has no blood. He had to come in his flesh to shed blood. He was a mediator between God and man. He came as man that you and I could go to him in prayer and say, you know what it's like to be tempted. And here's the encouraging part about this whole thing in James and what you and I need to see in God is he was tempted as man that you and I, when we get to verse 13 and we want to blame God for this and that, we want to blame God for the situations we may be going through. Here's what you need to remember. Ask God for help. Ask him for wisdom like James said. But he knows how you feel because as man, he was tempted in the garden. He was tempted with the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye. He was tempted with internal temptations to blame God, give up. Though as God, he didn't have to be tempted. He could have killed the enemy right there. He could have foregone the whole rest of the Bible, came down and set up a kingdom. But he went through these things. As man, he was born of woman. As man, he grew thirsty, but yet he was the everlasting water. As man, he grew weary. But as God, he was total rest. See, there's both natures of him. And the reason I feel to bear that out, the dual nature of Christ in it is, and how he was tempted. It's not a contradiction, for God is not tempted. He's showing you and I the element of his flesh and humanity that struggled. That when you and I go through these same struggles and we want to blame God or we want to get frustrated. Why do I have to go through what I'm going through? Why do I have to just deal? Maybe it's just me that has gone through the emotions. God, I do my best through prayer and fasting. Why is it, God? Why is it I still struggle sometimes with doubt? I struggle with fear. I'll struggle with this or that. When you pray and you fast, you do your best. Here's why. You're still human. There's a human element about you and I that you've got to maintain the course. Understand I'm human just as Christ was human too. But yet he knows what it's like to be tempted. And as long as I take my faith, which is what he did, faith, and say, I'm not going down this road. I'm going to go down the road of steadying my faith under the load of what I'm going through. Another translation I want to read for verse 13, and I may come to a close here in a moment. If any person passes through such difficulties and feels like he's being induced to do evil, he must not say, it is God 
who is tempting me to do evil. Now you think of the word evil. Evil would be blaspheme God. That's evil. What he's saying is, is that you would turn to God and shake a fist and say, it's because I lived right, this is what I, I deserve. Because I, I've been faithful, God, this is what I get. Don't go down the road is what James is saying. Let no, it is God who tempts me to do it. For God himself is never tempted. Or no one tempts him to do evil. He himself never tempts no one. Transitional scriptures, I'm closing with this. We say that we have external difficulties, is what James is talking about. We say that. And they have a work that God wants to do in the internal, or the external. But when it begins to turn into an internal, even in that moment, if we allow God to help us, the faith that's in us will help us conquer these human emotions. Don't let the evil inclinations or sinful natures that are surfacing in the difficulty make you say, well, this is, this is God too. God don't tempt any man. He allows the difficulty to come to prove our genuineness in faith. I'm going to stop right there because verse 14, there, it's, I got more notes here for 14 and it gets into it a little bit more. But I'll stop with 13 and I'm going to read it one more time. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt any man. And it's a continued thought to 14. He's saying, be ready. When you get in these trials and you get in these troubles and distresses, yes, you're going to have external problems. Things are not always going to go right. And it's the testing of your faith that it would be genuine. But he said also too there's going to be some internal things that are going to try to pull you away. Lead you away to sin. In this case that I would blame God for my life or discomforts. James saying don't do that. There's God that gives good gifts to men. In him there's no shadow of turning. There's, he, there's a part about God that if you stay faithful to him God will help you and I through these trials and temptations that we struggle so desperately in. Listen, God's for us. God's with us. God didn't bring you to the kingdom like Esther for such a time as this that you and I would fail and drop the ball. Everything that you and I are going through in our life right now might, not, might be crazy. You might not have everything together like you want. You're experiencing great stress or duress in your family and your home. Listen, it's not there to destroy you. It's there to help you and I. I go back to how I started the whole thing and we'll title it. Testing will bring about blessing. There is blessings that God's got through all these testings. Whether they're external or they're internal. There is blessings that God has got in it. What do you say we look for the blessing in the midst of the testing? Let's look for the blessing that God can be. Hey, he said, I'll stick closer to you than a brother. Maybe there's a moment, uh, an encounter that God's wanting to come to you and I in the middle of trials, internal and external, that if we'll trust him, we will find a blessing from God that we have never seen before. God's with us. God's for us. God's doing some great things in Indian Village. What do you say? We take everything that God's given us, combined with faith with what God's going to do, and let's put them together and believe God for greater days to come. Jesus, I thank you today for your people. I thank you for the opportunity to minister your word.
I'm asking you, let the word of God that has gone forth on all of us here tonight in our hearing, let it get down into our spirit and help us to remember when we get in the places of difficulty and we don't know what to do, that God, you're still for us and you're not to blame for it. But God, there's something you want to show us about your power, your strength, your presence that maybe we'd never seen before. And in that, there's a blessing of revelation in the testing that we're going through. God, I ask it for to come to all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love every one of you. God bless you.